Retro Rebel Gamecast is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes and fulfill your sci-fi, fantasy, and geek culture-related needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics. Retro Rebel is released Fridays, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templeofgeek.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Retro Rebel Podcast for exclusive content and see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. Well, welcome back. Yeah. All right. Been a while. Yeah, that's right. That's what matters. How have you been? I've been excellente. I've been uh, playing lots of games for very short periods of time to release some little mini reviews. So I probably played, I don't know, maybe 20 games or so this year. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. So well, tell me, I guess, a little bit about uh, what you've been playing. Mm. Well, most recently, and at, I mean, like, as of a couple hours ago, I have been playing Citizen Sleeper. It is a text-based sort of uh, RPG survival sim with a dice-rolling mechanic. It's really unusual. There's no action elements whatsoever. It's just dice rolls and resolving with, like images of characters and then text that you scroll through and sort of choose your own outcome, right? It's really quite an unusual game. I have to say, while I do enjoy it, just so long as I am not dying, when you start to get into a death spiral, it's like impossible to get out of it because when your condition and your energy is low, then your dice rolls start sucking, you you get less dice to play with, and you can do less and things start to go wrong for you. So uh, I think that's, for me, the hardest part is that you're not like winning in this game, you're just barely holding on and one wrong move will completely send you into a death spiral. I've played the game twice with two different types of characters, one strength-based and the other one like mechanics-based. But the mechanics-based one was more successful, but I think it was because I kind of knew what was happening early on when the random bits started happening and I didn't know where the story was going. I started to make mistakes and then get into the death spiral again. So it's an interesting game. It's free on Xbox games pass. There's like a book club group that's going to be talking about it, you know, after this recording. So I wouldn't have played it if it wasn't for them, but I I'm glad I did because it's really unique. Interesting. Now I may have to check that out. I have kind of taken a step back. Well, obviously, I mean, but just from like trying to, keep up with necessarily, but I've really tried to play some games that I've been interested in playing, you know, and, and since it's been a few months, I, I, uh, played Hogwarts and finished it. That's a, a, a game that came out earlier this year. And one thing I found about that game that, that kind of took me back to maybe a different era in gaming was how much fun the side quests were. And it's something that I had wanted to talk about on this show, how, the side quests were as much fun as the main quests were. And so if you, you know, as a recommendation for that game, I highly recommend it for anybody that's 
interested or, or that that enjoyed the Harry Potter universe. You know, it's set, I believe it's set well before Harry Potter, the Harry Potter time timeline. So there's there's not really any connection necessarily to that to that era or to Dumbledore or any of those characters necessarily, but some of the old magic families are represented. So like if you if you've never seen a movie, you could still enjoy the game because they teach you about the rules, uh, potion making, spell casting, all that stuff. But if you have watched the movies, then it's just a much more it's a, a richer experience. But they do a really good job of of making the world worth exploring. It doesn't really hold your hand a lot, but it, it is, I think it's an, it is an open world that's done right, especially by a, a studio that doesn't have a lot of pedigree in terms of putting out games like this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this was a really, a really well done example. I thought there were some elements that were shoehorned in, but generally speaking, it's, it's a very, very enjoyable experience. It's similar to the other experience I've had most recently, which is with Jedi Survivor. So I played, I've almost finished Jedi Survivor, but I've played enough hours to speak intelligently on it. It is, it is a lot of fun. I think it improved on the first Jedi, Jedi game uh, of this, of the same series. It's the one with Cal Kestis anyway. And uh, it's on Xbox. I believe it's on PlayStation 5 as well. It, it, it is also, it's, it's a little bit less uh, open world in terms, it's fewer planets than the first game more space on the given planets. So there's more stuff to do. They do a good job of sort of gatekeeping certain areas that you got to come back to once you get those skills like Zelda or Mega Man or something like that, where you have to go get the the next skill to come back and get into those, those, those rooms. And, but one of the issues, and it hasn't been a deal breaker, but man, that game crashes a lot. It crashes Uh back to menu all the time. I say all the time. It's probably happened to me in 25 hours plus of playing. It's probably happened 10 times. Um, that is a lot, though. That would really yeah. frustrate me. Yeah, it, it is. And and you'll know when it's happening because, like, your com- controller just quits being responsive. And then, oh, then it quits working altogether. And then it just freezes. And then you go back to menu. So Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So, but other than that, like I've been able to get past that and it's an enjoyable enough game. It's just, it's got a a, a lot of bugs. uh, You can tell just locked and loaded, ready to play is uh, Tears of the Kingdom. So I've got Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. uh, Oh my gosh. Have you seen the world record breaking? I did. Incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's some of the cool things that, that gamers do, though. They just fight, figure out ways to to break the system. It's pretty cool. I think it's so awesome. Okay. So you haven't started Zelda yet. I have not. It's not even open, but I do have it ready to go. Excellent. <laughs> I love to see it. Well, today you had mentioned that since it's been a while since we've had a chance to record, that we would just sort of go through a general state of gaming and catch up on what we've been doing or thinking about in the last five months, some of the stories that have come around that we wanted to talk about just yeah. briefly and, and give a little summary to get back into the swing of things. That's right. Yeah. Just catch up. It's been, we haven't recorded this year. And so that's at least five months worth of stuff that we haven't talked about and then catch up from the end of the year and so on. So yeah, yeah. Was there any news just off the top of your head that you could think of or some bullets that came across your radar? 
Well, since you mentioned Zelda, obviously it's been three days since its release and in three days it has already sold 10 million copies, which is an incredible record for any game. It just shows how much people love these beloved classic characters and that if they're served well, that the gaming community will support even titles with a historic franchise like that. You know, Zelda is outperforming pretty much every other Nintendo IP at the moment, so... I think that's pretty incredible. And you also mentioned Hogwarts, and there was, of course, that backlash for Hogwarts and J.K. Rowling and her involvement and her anti-trans comments, you know, because she is a, a turf, which is sort of a fringe belief that a lot of people think is unacceptable. And there, so there was a lot of people saying that you shouldn't play the game because if you play the game, then you don't like trans people. Now, I didn't play the game, but I wouldn't have anyway because I don't care about Harry Potter. So I, <laughs> I didn't do it necessarily because I'm an ally. I just wouldn't have played it anyway. So how do you feel as someone who played it while that was going down? And, you know, you obviously are not against trans people in any way from what I'm aware of. How did you feel about separating those two things? What was your perspective? That's really a good question. And and I thought about that going into it. Had you not known or been aware of anything that J.K. Rowling said, and you just played the game and experienced it on its own merit, it is one of the most inclusive games I have ever played in my life. Like I would say cyberpunk might be close, you know, because you, but the difference is, is you can't see your own character, right? So in this, you can see your own character. There are trans characters in the game, in Hogwarts, the opportunity and even the way that players are referenced is they, them. So, there are the pronouns. They there is there. It is impossible to to get it wrong on, in the game the way that they've set it up, and so I, I would feel like it's very ally friendly. So you wouldn't have known any different. And and in fact, I would say that I would I would just say that you could safely assess that particular game as as one that tried to be as inclusive as it possibly can. Do you think there's an opportunity for the franchise to divorce itself from the creator? I, I know that's like kind of a weird thing to suggest, but I know that Gene Roddenberry had some problematic comments back in the 80s and Star Trek sort of, while honoring him, moved away from his executive producership and, and vision and stuff like that because it was no longer relevant for the time. Do you think that that is something that we're going to see with Harry Potter as a result? I think it's possible. I think that we live in a different age, though, where when Rod, when that happened with Roddenberry, and if you, if you, I was a more of a Star Wars person. Star Trek was probably one of the most had one of the best messages on inclusivity, even back in the '60s when they cast actors of color in in some of the first opportunities in, in sitcoms and in shows like that. And so they were just, I thought they were very progressive. And and so at the time when I think Roddenberry said those things, we didn't have social media. You weren't constantly bombarded with that message. And so it didn't stay in the zeitgeist as long mm-hmm. as this is with, with uh, Rowling. And so it, it kind of gets dredged up all the time. So it's in the forefront of your mind. I think it's much more difficult to separate it now than it ever was before. 
Mm. And it, and I don't know that you can put the genie back in the bottle there. I think there will be people that can. I think there's a there will be a vocal. I would I'd say very a loud vocal. I would say minority, meaning just a smaller portion of the population that will be loud enough to probably keep it in the narrative for you know for a long time. So I don't know that it'll ever be divorced. I do know that efforts are made to try to to bridge the gap. And I felt the game was made with little to no insight or, or input, I believe, from Rowling. So it was... I mean, it must have been because she would not have signed off on they, them references. I could no, tell you I don't think so either. And <laughs> like the shopkeeper or, or the uh, the bartender in the, in the game, I don't think this is a Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Uh, spoiler anyway. Spoiler alert! If you haven't played it, and yeah, you're going if you to haven't it. played it, the the bartender is is trans. So right. you know they are one of the main characters that you interact with on a regular basis. It's never like blatant. It's never like it's never explicitly said. But it is. I mean, if you're intuitive at all, you or if you're just playing the game, you probably wouldn't notice it that much, or maybe maybe you would. But if you are paying attention. I think it's very obvious what they were trying to do with that character and it works and it works just fine. And and I think it's it, it's not like a patronizing to me. It didn't it didn't feel forced, I guess, is the point. Like they, they didn't. This is just a character in the world, you know, right. and so you interact with this character. They weren't put in with any pr- particular agenda. It just is what it is. And and you interact with this person on a regular basis. They have a a lot of side quests that they put you on. And so I feel like it was a very organic inclusion that didn't feel forced and and if you knew no better then you probably still know no better <laughs> as to why that character was included so yeah well she definitely wouldn't have signed off on that so yeah probably, probably, probably a good sign that she's perhaps a bit divorced from the game development well those right. were the two big stories that really caught my eye over the last few months what about yourself i know the metaverse is dead officially yeah, yeah. that was that was announced relatively recently and then overwatch as if blizzard can't quit making bad decisions uh, overwatch just canceled the entire purpose for why overwatch 2 was even created so in terms of bad blood they've just canceled the pve progression so there was a pve progression through overwatch 2 which is why a 2 was added right right so they they made they made Overwatch two so there would be this single player portion, and that would be uh, you know the direction that you would go. You you'd have like skill trees and all this for your character. You get to make your character. Oh wow! That's why you bought Overwatch two and why Overwatch two basically replaced Overwatch in your in the files. So like you can never go back and play Overwatch again. Right. Well now now the whole reason for making it is is being scrapped. And it's very it's akin to what happened with Warcraft 3, Redux of Warcraft 3 where they promised all these things and then ended up axing the majority of it or even with BioWare and and Anthem. So it's I, I guess it's it's not that surprising. It's Blizzard and, and um, it's not the people that work at Blizzard as much as it's the individuals who are signing the checks that are making these calls uh, that I don't think improve the quality of life of people who are playing these games. And that's just yeah. that's unfortunate. And um, especially when the world of Warcraft is doing so well, even though I have been clean for almost a year now. <laughs> of not playing. I did I did buy the expansion and started 
the dragon expansion and I had, I really enjoyed dragon riding. I thought it was a lot of fun, but I think it had run its course. It had run its course for me. And I just, I, I want to go back every now and then and play and I enjoy the lore. I watch videos about it and they're doing so much good uh, in terms of for the goodwill of the fans and, and the players of the game, a lot of quality of life improvements in, in the world of Warcraft updates. So at least that game's looking up, especially when Diablo and Overwatch and some of their other IPs are adding microtransactions and other things that are not improving quality of life. So Yeah. It's funny that you talk about Blizzard. So have you played any of the Diablo for free events? I have I have not. In fact, I have I have not purchased it either. And and that was that's that was a game that was on my radar to buy was Diablo four. But I have not. So I would hold on to your money, perhaps, for a little bit. My partner and I played the server slam for a few hours on like late Saturday night our time. So it would have been sort of fairly peak. Before we even loaded the game, Xbox One struggles to render the graphics, especially shading. It like it'll look really good when the player when the character player is not selected but when you select it and it brings the light effects around it it gets all pixelated all over the place there was clipping of weapons like and this is on this is when there is no load on the system whatsoever then when you start playing i mean and i can't remember it being the case but perhaps it was the character that i picked we went with a sorcerer guy there's like lots of pixelation when you're creating the character then when you jump into the game it doesn't seem to have a clear way to just do like a simple melee attack so you end up having to just face head rush into carts and things like that which seemed very weird for a sorcerer to do because in your mind you know that they're quite squishy so you're just not understanding how they're ballsing through carts and things like that like it absolutely made zero sense the like tutorial village Eastern European accents were a bit on the um, unusual side. Overall, we were not terribly impressed with the experience and considering the cost of the base game is 70 pounds, which is a shit ton of money, it does not look good at all on previous gen consoles. If it looks great on PS5, I can't talk. We have a PS5, but it took hours to download it just to get in by the time it was already over. So I can't speak to that, but I can say if you don't have current gen console, it looks awful. Like it's not worth buying from my perspective. I was silly. I bought Diablo 3 on my PlayStation when it was cheap. I think it was like yeah. it was it was discounted considerably. And I bought it on my PlayStation 4. And and I started to play it, and I think it came with the uh, the DLC with the Paladin and some of the other stuff, and and so that was one of the reasons why I got it. But on my PC, it's always performed well. On the PlayStation, it just didn't play. It didn't play as well. It, the it's it's a mouse game, you know. It, it just seems to work better that way than it did with a controller. I think with the hardware, it's a similar it's a similar issue, but that. It's like these games that were developed for PC work better on PC. And the games that are developed for console, they don't cross over very well. Uh, the Arkham games, Jedi Survivor, uh, all of these games that were developed for this platform and they try to cross over, they just don't seem to. And I don't know if that's just always going to be a common issue 
between those is if it's a PC game, it's just, that's just the route it should go, you know, and, mm. uh, or, uh, because I, I, I don't, I don't claim to know the intricacies of, of development and mm. how the, what the differences are there and, and why those differences are. But yeah, I am probably going to hold on to my money. And if I did get it, I'd get it on the PC. And unfortunately I have heard that if I get it on the PC, I may have to <laughs> upgrade my PC. Yeah, obviously the server slam is to test the server. So there was going to be like rubber banding and things like this. But even people with big gaming rigs were saying it was almost unplayable for a lot of people, especially in the US. I don't know if maybe that server was specifically overloaded or something, but the review score on the Xbox is already only three stars. So, and I know people don't usually bother to review games on Xbox. So the fact that people have gone out of their way means that they probably had a pretty bad experience. Right. Um, And I wasn't that impressed, I have to say, myself. I'm sure they will fix it because with any live service, they can obviously improve it. But it is disappointing for the amount of money that games are costing now that there are like these many problems. And actually, I just recently played Redfall, which I didn't play it long enough to experience any of the bugs that people are complaining about or that it apparently doesn't really have much in the way of story. From what I saw, I liked it because it was quite different and you know I thought oh these cult guys I'm just gonna kill them right away so I wasn't trying to like sneak around or do any of that so because of those decisions I had a different experience but people slated that game so hard and it's if I'm not mistaken a Bethesda game so it just seems like the major publishers are just swinging and missing lately (laughs) with these yeah and and this is the thing and and we touched on it earlier today and I think that's important that uh, we come back to it is that Redfall's a live service game, right? It's another multiplayer live service game where there's a roadmap, and I imagine they probably haven't publicized the roadmap as as much as in the past because of how many games have failed to reach sometimes even the first marker or second marker, and they just scrapped the whole thing. So in this instance, I think you've got a similar issue where you've got a game that is – on, on paper and, and everything that led up to it and, and such a great trailer. I mean, the trailer was great. I had no idea what the game entailed, but I kind of wanted to play it. You I know, was it, excited when I was like, oh, it's vampires. This is this is great. Right I'm up, into it. That's right. right I, up, I enjoyed it, but to be fair, I only played it for about 20 minutes and I right. just balls to the wall, right? I wasn't worried about being sneaky and I feel like that's where a lot of the problems lied. It is disappointing because people were hailing it as a Left for Dead sort of successor and it's definitely not that. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's that that's kind of what I was getting at. And and that's that's almost how they sold it was as a Left 4 Dead successor, that it's you've got these, it's a team-based live service shooter uh, where you've got all these AI components. And from what I've heard, the AI is not all that great, or at least it's it, it doesn't respond the way. No, the enemies were not interested in trying to find me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so that brings me to my point that 10 million copies of Zelda yeah. I bet you if you look at the at the sales numbers for Jedi that it's that it's successful even by EA's terms. I and I imagine you go back to Elden Ring or some of the biggest the biggest games that aren't yearly franchises like Call of Duty or mm-hmm. single player driven experiences that I don't need DRM or to be, you know, I don't need to be constantly online necessarily because oh, yeah. of some live service. 
to enjoy the game. It is a single player narrative, right? Many times open world games. Those are some of the most they're some of the most successful games. I guess I'm just saying there is still a place for those games. Not only is there a place for them, but I think some of the most consistently successful games and people still want to play yeah. single player narrative driven games. And I don't think that's ever going to change. I just no matter how much they would like to make it change to some sort of life service money drip game that or game and I say that in quotations that it's not really a game it's a, you know it's a service mm-hmm. and and uh, I wonder you know who is who's really benefiting the most from those services you know like is it worth the money uh, and that was something I had to think about with with World of Warcraft it's $16 a month now I could we've talked about this many times I could go to the pub and I could spend 30 bucks that night one night and yeah. so I, that's two months worth of, but did I enjoy that night more than a month of playing? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> well, but lately I would say, yeah, you know, lately I would say, yeah, that I enjoyed that one, that, that group of beers more than I did a month of playing this grind yeah. that I'm forced to do where I have to log in every single day and go to work. And that's just not fun. <laughs> you know, that's not it's fun. I would rather. Kids now, like it's not, it's not for us anymore. Like we're yeah. sort of aged out of the target market. They don't really want our business any longer. That's, that was a tear that rolled down for, <laughs> poured, poured one out for, for a while because I didn't want to face that, but you're right. That's absolutely true. We probably have, it is just to fade that point in our life. You know, we're just in a different place and that's okay. Uh, I just know I, I can't, I, I can't spend 30 hours a week on World of Warcraft, you know? Yeah. Um, and so. who could? <laughs> well, people are. I don't know who these people are or what they do, but they do. They, that's what they do. Not us. So are there any things that you're looking forward to going into this year? So uh, that we haven't really talked about games that are coming out or just any sort of experiences. Let me, let me ask you a question. Did you happen to see the, the Super Mario Brothers movie? I did. Yeah. It was it was it was pretty cute. Although about three fourths of the way through, I was like, "This is for children." <laughs> I, I enjoyed the Dungeons and Dragons movie a bit more, maybe because it's a little bit older. But you know, it was it was very cute. The Peaches song is hilarious. Um, it is. You know, it, it's it's funny to see the logic they built the world upon. You know, that was quite amusing to me. Like why we're going through all these pipes and stuff like that. But right. and the Donkey Kong guy was cute, but it was definitely a kids movie. Like there was a point where I was like, "Should I just go home? Am I supposed to be here?" <laughs> yeah, did you feel weird about being there? It was just it? me. Yeah, it was just just me and a bunch of children. <laughs> well, I watched it at home, so uh, it was on digital, and it and I did watch it with my daughter, and I thought it was fantastic. I think if you're a Nintendo, like an old Nintendo fan. And you would get the most out of it. Kids yeah. would get kids would be second. You know, it's like I think kids really enjoyed the songs, the colors. It's bright. If you are an old Nintendo fan, then there are references in every single scene, like like a, maybe tens, if not dozens of references in every single scene that you'd have to go back and watch, whether it's a sound, something in the background. It's like everything that's ever been Mario adjacent was referenced yeah. in that movie. Yeah. I, I the, thought that was definitely the case. 
It no, it was, and I and I think that was part of what was fun about it is it and it, it all made sense in the context of the story, like little things like his phone had a the ringer of Luigi's phone is the intro song from the GameCube when you turn it on. So when you turned yeah. on your GameCube, it was that the, where the where the square ends up kind of unfolding. Yeah. Anyway, that's his ringtone, and then like uh, in the background, I was I was just. And I hadn't picked out all of these things, but in the background, when he's fighting, it, it shouldn't be a spoiler that Mario fights Bowser. When he's fighting Bowser, in the background, there's a video game, and it's it's called it, whatever. It, it's what it's basically called what he was called in the game in 1983, mm-hmm. and and uh, it, and so there is no Mario game, but there's a game that was Mario. In it's like very meta, you know. It's so. so meta. I like hearing the music, like the musical cues, you know, yes. that, that was very nostalgic for me. And I yeah. just really loved the little emo drop, little drop guy. I didn't know what, who he was. The little or star thing. But yeah, but he was, he was so emo and I was like, this guy is great. Yes. He's <laughs> like, we're all going to die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, they're, they're going to the lava. He said, sweet relief. I know. Uh, yeah. To be fair, as an adult that far through the movie who doesn't have that nostalgia background, I was like, I agree, brother. The yes. popcorn's been out for 20 minutes, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. No, that was good. But I would agree absolutely that uh, I really enjoyed Dungeons and Dragons. Um, oh, that, that was, was great. Yeah. It was a great movie um, and very funny. I laughed. I laughed a lot. And I just loved how how honest it was about the source material, but how irreverent it was with things as well. So it like, it was, it was like a campaign, like it hit the mark in all the ways that the very first movie missed. Like it, it did not take, it took some things seriously and didn't have to explain it to you, but then it was also like very irreverent or, or, uh, self-referential. Yeah. Yeah, Self-referential where it didn't, it didn't have to take, that part of it seriously or too seriously. So I, I thought it was done incredibly well. See, now they need a and d game that's as good as that movie because the Absolutely. game actually isn't that great. No, no, so no. The generally, D&D game that they put out. I played that sort of tail end of last year and I was like, this is kind of trash. What was it? It was What was it called? Because I started to play it and it, it, I didn't enjoy it either. Um, it's because it's another live service left for dead wannabe. Yeah, it was like Beholder or – no, there was a Beholder on the front, I think. No, um, Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance. That's what that's it what was. That's what it said, yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was trash. It was trash. <laughs> um, you know, I tried to give it the benefit of the doubt, but the reality of it is is that it, it will – it, it can't hold a candle to the self-referential nature of the movie because – the people that you're teaming up with are like random punk people with no backstory with set characters that they're not creating themselves. That doesn't make any sense for the entire world of D and D. It defeats the purpose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, excellent stuff. Well, in the uh, last sort of few minutes that we have left, what else is burning in terms of topical references from 2023? I, I think generally speaking, I'm just very positive about where I think this year in gaming is going to go. I think coming out of COVID uh, and a lot of the lessons that were learned, I, you know, crunch is still going to be an issue, but I think it people are more aware now. 
I think we're going to start seeing some games or more games that are coming out that uh, this year uh, compared to the last couple that mm-hmm. were done uh, under different regimes with different philosophies, less less emphasis on that, maybe getting, uh, you know, a, a better product in the end. But yeah, um, I, I'm holding my entire candle for the new Dragon Age. That's what for me, right. that is what I need to be good to restore my faith in gaming. If that is trash, if they do it Andromeda to Dragon Age, I'll be like, well, see you never. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> You're just done with gaming completely. Yeah, I'm finished. (laughs) Because they should have learned from Andromeda that they need to, you know, respect the fans and their expectations and level of graphical and story-based clarity, you know. Absolutely. For for me, and I know that isn't coming out this year, it probably won't even come out next year, but in my mind, that is what I have my heart set on. Sort of everything else that they're releasing this year – feels like a bit on the rush side. Like they tried to cobble something together after COVID and, and try to make it good. And it's just not quite there. I mean, I even played death loop and I was like, what is this? I remember watching the trailer and I thought, what a cool concept. No, it's boring, bro. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's kind of, and maybe it was, maybe it was unfinished. It was like uh 12 minutes. Wasn't that the one that, uh, where you, you were on that loop that yeah. death loop, basically, and you have to keep, making decisions anyway it ends up being it comes unraveled at the end but the first 20 minutes or to an hour hour and a half where you're trying to figure out the steps incredibly fascinating like a really really interesting concept that just gets fumbled at the end and so you're yeah i i would agree there's there are a few games that are coming out this year that i i'm interested in playing final fantasy 16 um i'm gonna wait on diablo 4 uh dragon age i haven't played since i think uh what was the there's there's Dragon Age, Dragon Age two, two and then the, and then the, what was the third one? Is Inquisition, I think. Inquisition. Okay, so I played the first two. Ah, Inquisition is really good. I think you should pick it up. It is really good. Okay, yeah, and that's it was it was just so much different than the than I I think their other games that are not of that ilk like. Uh, the KOTOR and like yeah. the way that those party systems were, it was more of a, uh, Listen, I will say till the end of time that Freddie Prince Jr. as Iron Bull is one of the best characters in modern gaming. And you just have to experience it in real time. You know, it's the okay. one reason to play that game. Well, I, and, and you have made mention of this for years. Like the, that <laughs> I got to pick it up. That well, and as, so as far as I'm concerned, it is it is on my to do list. So, um, but I I have been I have I think this year I have gone into it and uh, looking forward to two things: playing these uh, single player narrative driven stories uh, at my own pace, really just kind of enjoying gaming and not worrying about keeping up with anything. Uh, I am looking forward to s- sort of doing some indie reviews. Mm-hmm. And I think in indie games are really where a lot of my attention is being driven, you know, where shorter experiences, uh, but also some of these games, even though they're more uh, condensed and, and, and in terms of they're tighter in terms of their, their narrative, they're tighter in terms of their, their mechanics. And even though the experience may not last that long, it's just a much more enjoyable. It's not vapid 
You know, it's yeah. not just nothing. Uh, it's over in maybe two to six think. hours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just for the sake of it, you've got this big world with nothing in it. And it's such a <laughs> sort of an analogy for other things in the world. And instead, I really just want something that that kind of you can latch on to and, and is, is uh, informationally dense or like the experience is so much more fulfilling because there's a lot going on and even in a short period of time. So I think indie games is really where I'm going to be spending a lot more time looking for gems in there, you know, kind of keeping my ear to the ground on what's, what's coming out and, and kind of what's, what to look for really. So that's really, I think what I'm, I'm excited about looking for, but I, I think I'll pick up inscription and, and see. You should. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, good. I'm glad we got to get together and do this. We'll have to do it again soon. It's been too long. But that wraps up this episode of Retro Rebel Gamecast. I want to thank Amanda for this week's discussion. All the notes from this episode will be posted on our site, templeofgeek.com. If you'd like to add to the discussion or reach out with questions, sound off in the comments or email us at retrorebel at templeofgeek.com. If you like what you hear, head over to wherever you download your podcasts and subscribe so you'll be sure to get each episode as it's released. And rate us because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later.